Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and this is Arcana Advances. Follow along as we explore all renal research happenings at Arcana Laboratories. Hello, welcome to Arcana Advances, where we discuss exciting new research in renal pathology performed by our own physicians. I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and today we have Dr. Tiffany Kaza, who will be discussing her recent article in Kidney International titled, NEL1 is a target antigen in malignancy-associated membranous nephropathy. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kaza. Thanks for having me, Dr. May. And this is the amazing paper that you should check out. It will be linked. Um, so first, just so that we're on the same page about this disease, what is membranous nephropathy? So membranous nephropathy is the second most common cause of nephrotic syndrome in adults. The first is diabetic nephropathy, which probably isn't too surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's called it's characterized by these subepithelial immune complexes um, that deposit within glomeruli, uh, typically thought of as planted antigens. Okay. All right. And so these patients have nephrotic syndrome often, right? Just a yes. lot of protein loss, a lot of protein in the urine. How would you characterize um, membranous? Because you have primary and secondary membranous, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? I can. And we're gearing away towards secondary membranous, actually. So the traditional idea was primary membranous was due to unknown autoantigen. So the phospholipase A2 receptor, or PLA2R, uh, comprises about 70% of all membranous. So those that were PLA2R negative, they would search for another cause because membranous uh, was associated with malignancy, with some infections like viral hepatitis, um, which is hepatitis B, autoimmune diseases, particularly membranous lupus nephritis. Um, but now multiple autoantigens have been identified within membranous nephropathy. And so it's gearing toward an antigen-based approach as some of the new autoantigens have potential secondary etiologies associated with them too. Mm-hmm. So in this paper, you looked at malignancy-associated membranous nephropathy. And what did we know about malignancy-related membranous when you started this study? So malignancy-associated membranous was described a long time ago, actually back in 1966 by Dr. Lee, um, and has been studied to some point. Primarily, malignancy-associated membranous occurs in older people than idiopathic membranous, and therefore older people have cancer more often, and so it's been debated, is this a real association or not? And there's a paper um, back a while ago um, showing that THSD7A was associated with malignancy-associated membranous seen in a gallbladder carcinoma. There was actually a copy number increase in THSD7A of which they connected and made the association. But um, after that, there hasn't been a whole lot of work looking at antigens and membranous. Um, however, we didn't have other known me- membranous antigens until about three years ago. And really now THSD7A is thought of in the more primary category, right? Even though, like you said, that that setup is changing. Generally, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were looking to see what antigens are associated with malignancy-associated membranous. So how did you do antigen discovery? 
So we use mass spectrometry um, by two methods. The first being that we eluded immune complexes from leftover frozen kidney biopsy tissue and then interrogated them by mass spectrometry. Um, so in this procedure, you use protein G beads, which just binds immunoglobulin, and you essentially do a pull-down out of the tissue. The other method was laser capture microdissection, and that's used to enrich all proteins in glomeruli by cutting out the glomeruli with a laser. It's actually pretty fun. <laughs> um, and this... Um, has been previously done by other groups, including Dr. Sethi's lab at the Mayo Clinic, um, who previously discovered exostosin-associated membranous with this technique, as well as others by this point. And what did you find when you looked at the mass spec from, from these cases? One of the new autoantigens that stood out was NUL1, or neural epidermal growth factor like 1. In those patients, they actually had a history of malignancy, which um, we weren't necessarily looking for malignancy-associated membranous at the time, but mm -hmm. then investigated that further. You were looking at sort of unknown causes of membranous, right? Taking those unknown cases and, and doing mass spec, and no one sort of came out, out of that. Yeah, that's accurate. We were looking at those that were negative for PLA2R as well as THSD7A and for essentially other autoantigen discovery. And so you noticed that um, in the patients that had no one positive um, membranous, they also had malignancy, correct? Yeah, we only identified two null one patients in that side of cohort was fairly small mm -hmm. uh, with 59 patients at the time, which included controls as well. So um, those two patients were found to have malignancy, so we just went further with that. And what is NL1? Uh, so NL1 is a protein that's expressed in early development as well as in the central nervous system. Um, so I find that really interesting because um, podocytes and neurons have some of the same properties. They all have, so neurons have dendrites and make synapses, and podocytes produce foot processes to maintain the glomerular filtration barrier. And some of the same dynamics and proteins exist in both processes. And so um, recently, multiple autoantigens have been identified that are actually neuronal proteins, and L1 is one of those. That's super interesting because it does look similar. When you think about a neuron reaching out and forming these connections, it looks similar to the scanning EMs we've seen of foot processes. Yeah. That's very cool. I haven't thought about that before. Um, so you went on to look for NL1 in other unknown cases. You started with a smaller subset of unknown membranous, and then you opened that up, right? And what did you find when you went back and looked at other cases? So we screened a consecutive case series to see what the overall frequency was in membranous nephropathy of null one. And we found that, um, I think it was 1.7% of the PLA2R THSD7A negative cases were null one positive. And in the literature, you'll see variable frequencies of null one positive membranous. Mm -hmm. um, the Mayo Clinic had shown an increased frequency, but we're looking at um, the PLA2R negative cases and not all commerce, um, which we we're screening out those as well, but considering, you know, all comers and that frequency. So that frequency varies. And in China, um, NL1 positive membranous is actually more common. 
And it's potentially related to lipoic acid use used a lot in that population. And so there's been a recent um, study by Oregon State University um, that came out of a clinical trial, actually from some patients with multiple sclerosis, where those who developed proteinuria had null one associated membranous. And this is a rare cause of membranous. It's less than 2%. Um, so that was an unusual association, but they, they think lipoic acid use could be a potential secondary etiology yeah. um, as it's used more in China than in mm-hmm. the United States. But overall, it's a small proportion of cases, but it really depends on what your denominator is, what you're dividing it over, what that exact number will be. But it's a it's a small but real subset True. Of, yeah. of cases. So um, you looked back then at, wow, five years of membranous cases here at Arcana, which is a lot of cases, by the way, because we do see a lot of cases. So, so you found 91 null positive cases in that five-year cohort. Did you see any patterns um, among the cases, like similarities or differences from PLE2 or positive membranous? Uh, interestingly, we did. And some other types of membranous, it's you know hard to tell what the antigen is because there's this diffuse and global granular capillary loop pattern within glomeruli when staining for IgG. In null one positive membranous, it tends to be segmental only um, with immune complexes among some of the capillary loops. In segmental, you're considering that less than 50%, but actually more commonly, it's incomplete global in that it'll spare some capillary loops and so not have complete staining. And we saw that in more than 90% of cases where there's at least a little bit of capillary loop sparing. Additionally, IgG subclasses were performed, and these were IgG1 positive, most oftenly. Mm-hmm. And in PLA2R and THSD7A associated membranous, they are more often IgG4. IgG1 antibodies can cross switch to IgG4, but it was unusual that with patients presenting probably at variable times with their proteinuria that there would be so many that are IgG1. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what clinical um, patterns did you see in that patient population, that group of NL1 membranous? So of those 91 patients, we've found an increased frequency of malignancy, which were both solid and hematologic cancers. And that was one-third of all cases of membranous, so 33% of NL1 positive had cancer. Had cancer at the time of the membranous diagnosis or was discovered afterwards? Both. Okay. So we looked at the time of diagnosis as well as follow-up and got follow-up from as many of the patients as we could. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if someone has an L1 positive membranous, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have malignancy-associated membranous, but it increases the likelihood, right, that they should look for it, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And currently in clinical algorithms, when you have a PLE2R negative membranous, you should look for associations like malignancy, and patients have at least age-related cancer screenings, but often more extensively. Mm -hmm. Um, We recently looked a little bit further, and we looked at patients that had cancer diagnosed quite a bit prior to diagnosis of membranous, um, where it could be 
true to one related versus mm-hmm. those that had a temporal association with proteinuria and their cancer. And of that population, actually 76% were PLE2 or positive, which were true to one related. And those that had an association with cancer um, at the same time of membranous had that increased proportion of null one. Mm. So it's important to look at the temporal association. Um, and if it's probably not within a year of mm-hmm. d- diagnosis of membranous, uh, or if the patient is already received chemotherapy and remission, the two conditions could be completely unrelated. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then you you looked at the serum in these patients as well and some of them. What did you find? We did immunoblotting of uh, null one recombinant protein and saw that there was reactivity against null one protein um, from the serum. Um, this has also been done, and it was done previously by um, Dr. Sethi's group at the Mayo Clinic, and now has been done in two other studies. Um, so autoantibodies are identified. Currently, there's no clinical assays to um, monitor that, but I think that will be in the future. So like we monitor PLA2R is what you're saying, right? So you can sort of screen for those autoantibodies if the patient develops proteinuria again after a remission, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's a lot easier than doing another kidney biopsy. <laughs> Going through all that, just a blood test would be much simpler. Yeah, I hope we get that. I hope that it gets there shortly. Um, this type of membranous was only identified two years ago, so it's still pretty early. Amazing how quickly, yeah, how quickly things have progressed, thanks to you, of course. Oh, and a lot of other groups as well. I can't, I certainly can't take credit for that. Um, uh, Dr. Beck, who identified PLA2R, um, has described that the membranous antigens follow Moore's law of technology, where there has just been this kind of exponential increase in the number of antigens identified. and. Now there's that proportion of unknown is quite less. Yeah, it's so true. And um, so we talked about how the patients have about a third of them had an identifiable cancer, but how do they do in terms of their membranous? Um, like, do they go into remission? How do they compare to like a PLA2R positive membranous case? Uh, they actually have better outcomes. Okay. Um, so in PLA2R positive membranous, although it varies series to series, it's been about a third, a third, a third as far as complete remission, partial remission, or, you know, progression toward end-stage disease or, you know, solid endpoint. Um, in L1 positive membranous, the majority of the patients remit, some of them only with antiproteinuric therapy with um, ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers and do quite well if they don't have an underlying cancer driving it. If they do have an underlying cancer driving it, um, does the typical treatment for membranous work, or is the treatment really targeted at treating the cancer? It's a little early to tell that, but I would say the treatment is to target the cancer. We have anecdotally some patients where when their um, cancer is in remission, their proteinuria has remit, and... Um, have seen when there is metastatic cancer that then 
nephrotic syndrome. It goes to nephrotic syndrome where the proteinuria gets worse. Um, currently, don't have a lot of data on that, but mm-hmm. it appears that there is a temporal association. Wow. Okay, so in this paper, you I, it's a beautiful paper. Everyone should take a look at this work. It's really elegant science, really nice. Um, You're so very you, sweet. <laughs> you describe this new, this new membranous antigen, NEL1, enriched in malignancy-associated cases. So if a NEL1-positive membranous case is discovered, what advice do you have for the clinician? So they should look for an underlying malignancy, um, of which may be a cult. So malignancy-associated membranous may have a cancer known at the time of diagnosis, or they may not. And that increased risk in the literature has been described up to four years post-diagnosis. That's mainly because it could be an occult malignancy that has, mm. you know, have gotten worse over time. Um, but I really advocate that all of those patients get cancer screening. Yeah. For a PLA2R positive membranous, there's about 4% of that population that had cancer. So it's um, much increased mm-hmm. in patients with null one positive membranous. And then the recent association with lipoic acid use should also be investigated. More data is to come there, but. And what do you want to learn about null one in the future? Like, what's the most exciting thing that you want to look into next with null one? I think the most pressing thing right now is development of serologic tests. Mm. So disease can be monitored. We don't really know the mechanism through which null one is associated with malignancy-associated membranous. So there's multiple potential etiologies, and all of them could be wrong. Um, But in THSD7A, there's shown to be copy number alterations that similar could be seen in null one. You could have an increase in transcript stability um, or, you know, protein expression. Um, Alternatively, cancers have an increased number of mutations over time, and that can create neoepitopes that then are seen as formed by the immune system. And all of these are postulations. We don't know the mechanism, but it would be interesting to see. Um, Getting that data is a little difficult in that... um, you're looking at nephrology versus, you know, oncology offices and the, you know, cancer resection or biopsy is likely at a different institution and mm-hmm. um, requires quite a bit of coordination. And so really the help of a lot of willing patients and nephrologists would be <laughs> needed to answer these questions as it could be variable patient to patient to see trends. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kaza, for doing this research and coming on the podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Arcana Labs for more exciting kidney news and research. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rebecca May underscore RP. You have a great Twitter feed. Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, you can find me at, at Tiff underscore Kaza. Thank you for having me, Dr. May. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes store. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.